awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Congratulations. Should I just use this one, Pastor Bob? Is that all right? Whoever's it is, I'm sorry for your notes. Well, it's great to be here in Vancouver and Brush Prairie and to celebrate with you what a great day it's going to be. Amen? Amen, and it's been a great day already. Thanks for leading us. I was saying it's great that there are two services for all the work that you put in and all the joy of the music and celebration. I'm glad to get to hear it twice, and I'm sure you're glad to perform it and sing it twice because uh, it's worth every effort. It's just great to be here, an honor to worship with you this morning and to celebrate the 150 years at Brush Prairie Baptist Church, 150 years of worship like this and uh, impacting the community. My wife, Wendy, and my daughter, Sadie, will be here in the next service and at the picnic, so you've got to look out for them. They're wonderful. I also have two boys that are uh, running around. They got their driver's licenses now, so I don't even, I can't keep up with them, but uh, uh, we have a picnic at our church, Cedar Mill Bible Church today, so they're going to go attend that, and my son plays drums in the uh, worship team. He would have loved to hear those four drums here, even in a Baptist church, four drummers, my gosh, that's crazy, but uh, It's an honor to serve with you again, and I say again because Pastor Bob knows, and sometimes we realize it very obviously, and sometimes it's just happening behind the scenes, but we have been serving together uh, very specifically for the last six or seven years in a great move of God in the region, and uh, that's how Pastor Bob and my brother Kevin and Luis and I really know each other more recently is that... uh, We're just joining together, uh, humbly serving together along with hundreds of other churches in the region uh, for something that we sometimes call City Serve or we sometimes call it the Gospel Movement. We don't like to put any titles on it because uh, that seems to kill things sometimes. But it's just that uh, a real relational uh, recognition that we need to uh, do better and we can do better together. And it's really just the Portland, Vancouver, Gresham, Hillsborough areas all coming together to really uh, not to lift up our own little kingdoms, but to lift up together the kingdom, right? And to to really uh, put down secondary issues that make us little churches all over the city, but really serving together to be the big C church in this region, just as God has created us to be. And what that looks like is that together, more and more, led by Pastor Bob and many other uh, humble servants, uh, uh, that, that we're serving the community and leading the way, drawing churches and business and civic and government leaders together to really love and serve the city. And, and they've, uh, the, the leadership have ad- identified and are really specifically addressing these issues that are, that are uh, critical to our community. Schools, homelessness, health and wellness, foster care, hunger, human trafficking, violence, and street crime. And it's uh, no surprise that you have this great goal of 150 sort of acts of love and community impacts uh, over this sesquicentennial, I love that word, sesquicentennial year, right? That means 150 years, I think. And uh, 150 years of Brush Prairie impacting the community like never before. This is really, really an exciting goal and vision to look at the past and remember it with great enthusiasm, but also to turn our hearts to the future and uh, really make a a strong statement about this year, 150 uh, of those kinds of acts of service. It's beautiful. My dad and I got an email last week from a woman. uh, She's 94 years old, Mary Whittett. She's from Weybridge, England. And uh, she was emailing us and just celebrating the victories of Indonesia where we were last week. 
a wonderful outpouring, a youth-led movement out there that's happening. Pray for Indonesia. But she was just saying, you know, blessings on you, Andrew and Louise. We're praying for you, rejoicing. I've been supporting you for decades, and I plan to continue to support you for the following years. And my dad immediately emailed back and said, you know, he asked her that famous question that goes out to all such people as Mary Whitted at 94 years old. He said, how can I be so vigorous? I wrote it down because I love the way dad just is so clear and powerful. How can I be so vigorous, Mary, and as joyful as you when I'm 94? Don't hide your secret, Mary. Be generous. Tell me, he asked her. And I thought that was just great. I'm waiting for a reply. I'll send it over to you when we find out. But, uh, you know, The same question could be asked of you here at uh, Brush Prairie Baptist Church, couldn't it? Today, people would, uh, as they saw the uh, the, uh, report in the Colombian, they must be saying, wow, what is it about them? What makes them different? What gives them such longevity and vigor and joy? Uh, And you know, it's not this facility alone as great and as strategic as you have made this facility. I love that you're right next to the school and for since 1980 I saw you've been uh, uh, serving a, an introductory meal to the people over there and letting them know that they're loved and that, they're, uh, that, that, that they are seen in this community. It's not just the focus on generously sending missionaries out to the world, which you have always done. Uh, It's not just that you focus on your immediate community and neighbors in the same way that you focus uh, uh, with those missionaries around the world, even though we do know there's something powerful about this truth that uh, I, I love this saying that the light that shines furthest burns brightest at home, right? So you're serving in your community powerfully, and that reality gives you authority to go out and send missionaries all around the world because you're doing it right in your very own backyard. These are critical things, but I don't think that that's even what makes uh, Brush Prairie Baptist Church so special. It hasn't taken me long to see what that little secret is uh, here, and it's the same secret that has... uh, moved the kingdom of God forward across the world for many centuries. It's, what, it's not what's inside this church building necessarily itself or in, in the great plans that you've made. It's what's inside your very own hearts, your very own minds and spirits. The, the thing that is inside the leaders and every one of the congregants here, it's the life of Christ himself inside of you, motivating you. And it's that Holy Spirit in your heart doing what Jesus himself did because, right, we are here to serve the master who did what, right? He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's not only uh, uh, that, it's, it's, it's that life of Christ inside of you, making of you what he said he would make of you. Uh, and in John 7, he puts it this way. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of them will flow rivers of living water. And it's beautiful to see it. Over the 150 years, I'm sure sometimes you, you guys see your own foibles and little insecure things that happen internally. But the world looks at you. He sees your faithfulness. He sees the sacrificial service. And it's making a great difference in, in the life of this community. And this is the desire I know of the leadership here for you today, for each one of you, even as we celebrate and we've extended a warm invitation for the whole community to come out. 
that, uh, that if you have never believed as Scripture says and begun to live in this purpose that you were created for, uh, then we pray that you will experience it for yourself this day. And that as you experience new life in your own being, that, that you would begin to bring life uh, to others like a flowing river to all around you. And you yourself, imagine this, this is hard for us to think of ourselves. God says, I created you to be a man of God. Imagine, I created you to be a woman of God and that you could leave this place radically transformed in your inner person and that you can become a pillar of strength in your family, a pillar of strength in your church and a pillar of strength in the community. And some of you might just say to me, well, that's great, Andrew, but I'm not here for that. I'm just honoring my grandma and I'm here because so-and-so invited me and it's a big celebration. But you know, if you knew my story, if you knew what has happened to me or what I've done in my life, you would never say to me that I could be a man of God or a woman of God or a pillar of strength in any of those capacities. But God says otherwise. And uh, One of the things we thought we'd do, the best way to celebrate the past 150 years here is to prepare for your next 150 years. And the best way to honor the sacrifices of those that went before in this place is to remember, yes, but to prepare and look forward to the future. And I want to encourage you that no matter where you've come from or wherever you've gone in this world, Jesus Christ this day desires to radically transform your life and to revolutionize the entirety of your life. This is what he does. You know, he revolutionizes not just your present, but Jesus Christ will revolutionize your past, your present, and your future. And I want to remind you of what he has done to make that a possibility and how he does it this day. You know, John Wooden, the famous UCLA basketball coach. Well, I shouldn't bring up basketball. It's football season, right? And I certainly shouldn't bring up UCLA basketball. I should be talking about Washington State football or something like that, right? I mean, you guys beat USC yesterday as an Oregon Duck. I'm very grateful for that. But I'll just use this... this um, Famous illustration, you've all heard it a thousand times, but you remember John Wooden, famous basketball coach and leader of young men uh, for decades down there. Uh, he, he, every, at the start of every year when they would sort of begin again and hit the reset and begin again, he would always take a basketball and go to these young, probably very cocky young men who have come from around the nation to be at the, one of the finest basketball programs. He'd take the ball and say, this is a basketball You remember that story? And he'd start at the foundations and he'd start at the fundamental realities and say, you know, if we want to be something great, we got to remind ourselves of these real foundational principles. And I want to go through them today so that you could leave this place revived and encouraged in your spirit about all the good things that God has done for us. And that if you've never believed and received those things, that you would do it this day and it will revolutionize your life. And we've been praying for you and this is wonderful, but uh, you know, for as much as we've been praying for you and desiring for you to make decisions that would draw you back to walk in his path and, and, and receive all the good things of God, there are other things happening in this world around us too. And uh, we know that the, the, the world and the flesh and the devil are the enemies of our soul and the enemies of this community. The world and its systems won't go into that too much. I think you can uh, be aware of it by just watching the evening news. And our own flesh, we know pretty well about that. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, he does not desire you for you to understand and know the freedom that Jesus Christ desires for you this day. And he stands in his kingdom and he's in his kingdom of darkness. And he says... 
all kinds of lies into your ear. He says, don't be so foolish. You're not here for that kind of radical transformation. Forget about that. Look at your life. You're, you're a loser, and you're from a family of losers, or your family was great, and now you're a loser. And he'll lie to you in any possible way he can. Or he'll say something like, don't worry about all that. You're from a great family, and you've succeeded. You have a succession and a lineage that puts you in better standing with God, better than all those other people. And your good works outweigh your bad works. And there's all these kinds of things uh, that he'll tell you about. But God stands in his kingdom of light and life. And he wants to dispel the darkness and the lies of the enemy in your life. And he says, come, follow me. Follow me this day. And I'll give you the light of life. And you will never walk in darkness again. And it's so beautiful. Our passage today is in John 8. Let's read it. And as we open up the Word of God, I know we've prayed, but I'm just going to pray one more time that we would uh, allow our hearts to focus in on His Word primarily. If anything good will happen today, it'll be through the, the Word of God. So let's pray. Lord, we commit the reading of Your Word. We commit it to You, and we ask You to illuminate our hearts and our minds. Lord, be merciful and... Uh, we humble ourselves before you and your word, and we say, speak to us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at the words of Jesus Christ. And in here, I see all the things that God desires for you in one short passage. He has an amazing way of doing that uh, in, in, in some critical places. And this is one of those foundational places in all of Scripture where to those who had believed him, Jesus said, starting in verse 31 of John 8. To those, the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they answered him, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Well, Jesus replied to them and said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And a slave now has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And you know, Jesus desires this for us. He's calling us to a, a place of freedom. And, uh, but uh, you know... The, the fact of the matter is that what we see in here is what I was describing to you briefly before we went into it. I see in here people who don't want to turn to God and to Jesus Christ to be set free. In, in, they want to rely on other things. And these people were relying on, on a great heritage. And this is a great heritage, as great as there is in the West, 150 years. There's very few things at any level as old as that. Uh, in the area, 150 years, it would be easy to kind of rely and become what people sometimes call a cultural Christian, uh, someone who just sort of inheritance, uh, inherited, inherits uh, the, the, the religion of their parents and moves forward, but never lets the Holy Spirit of God draw life and freedom into their very own life personally. And uh, some people rely on good deeds, religious activity, uh, as if those things would bring some kind of an advanced standing in the relationship with God. But God in here we see says no, that everyone who sins 
is a slave to sin. And he also goes on to tell us we were never intended. It was not his desire that we would be slaves, but rather that we would be his sons, that we would be his daughters and live and operate in his family and that the Spirit of God would indwell us and allow us to call out to him, Father, and call him our Father. So his desire is that we would be set free. Today, we realize that uh, every one of us at some point has fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans. We've sinned, but Jesus Christ will set you free. Let's just go through really quickly to remind you and encourage you, or maybe to inform you for the first time if you've never really recognized it for yourself. What are the things that Jesus Christ sets us free from? And what are the things that he sets us free to? And how does he do that? Those things are so foundational, you'll be encouraged at the very least today. But some of you might say, this is something I've needed to know. This is something I want to get back on track on. You'll be encouraged. And the first of the things that Jesus Christ sets us free from is called, I'll call it, the, the, the curse of sin. Right? The curse of sin, Jesus Christ wants to set you free from it and to something. And here's how it works. All of us, you probably recognize, we've been made with something that's called our conscience, right? And all of us have a conscience, and our conscience has always been in one of two states. Our conscience is either clear or it's dirty, And when our conscience is clear and clean, we have peace in life, joy in relationship, and free to to pursue relationships with others and, and relationship with God. And the other option is that our conscience is dirty. And when our conscience is dirty, we're sad and we're fearful. We feel trapped and we may be surrounded with hundreds of people Uh, but we feel alone in this world. And that dirty conscience that we have, it's the result of sin, right? But we feel guilty in the midst of all that because we're guilty, right? I mean, typically, sometimes there's a false sense of guilt, but normally when we feel guilty, it's because we're guilty and we've all sinned and we've all done wrong. And that same book of Romans goes on to say, not only are we all guilty and all have fallen short of the glory of God, but we all also uh, realize that the wages of sin, it says, what we earn for that sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Satan, he doesn't want you to know the relief of the curse of sin. He doesn't want you to know that the pain and the guilt and the shame of all of that garbage of our lives can be lifted and you can be set free in your spirit. But Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I will set you free. And when I set you free, you'll be free, he says, indeed, which is not a word we probably use too much, but it just means, you know, absolutely beyond what we could recognize or imagine, he will set you free. And you can then experience a clean and a clear and a restored conscience, peace and joy and an ability to relate to God with a clear conscience. And it's beautiful and we desire it for you. But every one of us, we carry a load of guilt. And uh, this has been true from the beginning in Genesis 1 to 3. Even from the very beginning uh, uh, in the Word of God, we, we realize and we see the reality that God created the heavens and the earth and the universe and He created people and He put Adam and Eve in that garden. But Satan entered into that picture. Adam and Eve believed the lie and acted on it and sin entered into the world. So the fact of the matter is that mankind is infected with sin. And so it's not just 
your actions and your attitudes, but it's really like uh, uh, an inheritance. It's like a spiritual cancer that you're born with. And then we have that, but on top of it, we don't only inherit it, but we, we also prove it out daily and we seal the reality of it when we act out daily and we break God's laws. But God, God loved us too much to leave us in confusion and he gave us those 10 things that, that we call commandments, the 10 commandments in his holy word. He says, here are 10 things that I give you because I love you to do or to stay away from. And the purpose of these things is, says, is so that life will go well for you. And if you do not adhere to these things or do them or stop doing them, it won't go so well for you. And he gave us those laws and we've broken every one of them. Joshua 1.7 clarified it. When Moses passed away in that transferring to a new day, Joshua's the new leader. He reminds them about the purpose of these laws. He says, be careful in Joshua 1.7, be careful to obey all the law that your servant Moses gave you so that you may be successful wherever you go. So the reality is, have no other gods before me so it will go well for you. Make no idols so it will go well for you. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God so that it may go well for you. Honor the Sabbath rest day so it may go well for you. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet so that it will go well for you. And then he brings that great summary in the New Testament, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself so that it will go well for you. He loves you and he wants the best for you. But you know, I... I had a horribly guilty conscience. I was born and raised in a great Christian home. Uh, I had a great church just like this church. Uh, But despite these blessings and many, many other blessings in life from the youngest of ages, I turned my back on the way of my family. I turned my back on the things of God and just wandered off on my own. And I'm ashamed to tell you, but it's no surprise. You look around Vancouver and the all of America and you see what's going on with the young people. I was no different. I just foolishly wandered off. I had a rebellious heart and, and, and I was a foolish young man and uh, got involved with alcohol and drugs and all the relationships that go along with that parting lifestyle for 27 years and just destroyed my life. And the whole time I had a mask that I wore for the world to see. Everything's fine with Andrew, but increasingly and increasingly it was not fine for me. I was going into a pit of fear and despair and shame and guilt. Um, And I got to the place, I could pick on a thousand things, but just to give you an illustration of where I got myself to, eventually uh, I I was abusive in so many ways in life, outwardly and internally, but I abused alcohol in this way. It turned out over time, it started out for fun, right? Just partying, having fun, sowing my wild oats, a typical all-American boy, right? But in the end, I was enslaved to it. And this is how I abused it eventually, is that I realized I could never go to bed sober. Because if I ever found myself in that position, sober, in my bed, in the dark at night, my mind would just flood with all of the garbage of my life and all of my lying and cheating and stealing and the abusive relationships and my arrogance and my pride and um, the faces of the people that I had hurt would kind of come up into my mind and I was haunted by all these things. Uh, I was fearful about 
my future in this world, and I was fearful about eternity. I mean, I was full of it, right? But uh, I would have thought nobody knew all these things. But whenever I was in that position, sober, in my bed at night, I was haunted by all these things. And so to avoid that, I would go out every night of the week partying if I could find someone to party with. And if I couldn't find someone to party with, I would just sit in my little apartment room there. I lived in Boston, Massachusetts at this time, having graduated from the University of Oregon, working my way up the corporate ladder. Nothing had changed in my heart except for this. I slowed down my partying a little bit uh, in that time, not for spiritual reasons, but just because I had to get up and go to work in the morning, right? But nothing had changed in my heart except for this. Uh, In that time, I began to realize that... uh, that, that, that my life was going in this direction. And, and, I, and I just said, Lord, what am I going to do? And I was growing increasingly desperate. My parents, you know, they saw all that. That's 27 years I share with you in five minutes. It didn't go that fast for my poor parents, right? Their hearts were broken. And they saw their son and they loved me so much and they desired the best for me. And they didn't know what to do. They tried everything. But I had such a rebellious heart. But these are the things they did. They prayed for me faithfully. And they lived a life of integrity. They followed the word of God. They were not perfect, but they were changed and growing and maturing. Even to this day at 78 years old, I see dad not satisfied with where he's at, but continually growing. What an incredible testimony, even though it took 27 years to penetrate my heart. The prayers and that testimony had its impact. But the third thing they did, greatest power, is that they shared with me the good news because they knew that the good news of Jesus Christ was the power of God to transform my life. And they didn't want me to just be a good boy and stop crashing their cars, right, and be obedient to them. Those are good side benefits for sure, right? But they wanted me to become a man of God. And I would hear dad would say that to me. I'm like, what is wrong with him? Is he crazy? Does he not understand and see what's going on? But he just believed the word of God and that the gospel message had that kind of power. So he would share it with me. And he shared it with me in a hundred ways. Personally, one-on-one, he would write letters to me. And the letters are beautiful. I have my little book back there, which is just my story in a book form uh, that might encourage your heart and give you another gospel tool to give out to your friends. But that, those letters were so beautiful. And I just said, I got to let people see what Luis Palau wrote to his own son in that circumstance. And I hope you can see them and be encouraged by them. But he would just write out the gospel. You know, the same old thing. You'd say, well, that's nothing special. I've heard that a thousand times. It's like the four spiritual laws with Andrew's name inserted in there, right? It's like, what's the big deal? It's the power of God unto salvation. So he shared it with me and ultimately uh, the joke's on me. It was at a Luis Palau uh, festival in Kingston, Jamaica, that the Lord finally uh, revealed himself to me mercifully. And it was in that place he called me and said, son, come on, take some holiday time. Come with us. We want you to be with us together as a family. And I knew what they were after, and he knew what I was after. I'm thinking about the sun in Jamaica, right? I'm thinking about red striped beer on the beach in Jamaica, and I know how to handle this Christian thing. But God had other plans for me and I went out there and I heard the good news and I responded. And all the shame and the guilt of my life, this issue of the curse of sin was dealt with in that moment when I finally humbled myself, came to my senses and humbled myself and said, God, will you please forgive me? And as he has promised to do, right? You can guess what he did. He says, if you confess your sin, I am faithful and I am able to forgive your sin 
and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he did it in a moment, and it was the beginning of change. 20 years ago now, it feels like just the other day, when I think about it, the joy of it wells up in my heart, and I think of the sacrifice that God laid down on my behalf, and I am moved every day to think of his goodness uh, to help me with this incredible issue. And every one of us, you know, we carry that load of guilt, and we can carry it for so many years, uh, and we feel guilty, and we're without excuse. I'm so happy that Jesus Christ paid that penalty and forgave me on that day. But you know, I'm kind of like, I would see myself as like the worst of the worst. In my eyes, that's how I see myself. I'm sure people could argue about that and you say, oh, you don't know my story. But you know, it's not just for the worst of the worst. My dad, Luis Palau, he gave his heart to the Lord when he was 12 years old. But guess what? He had a horribly dirty conscience at that time. The Lord had convicted him. He said, I had a dirty mouth, I had a bad temper, and I was so excited. He shares his testimony. You're like, that's no big deal. You're a good little boy. No, not really. But he was so happy to be forgiven. He understood it and he received that beautiful forgiveness. And so often we think about it's just for the worst of the worst, this idea of a dirty conscience, but we all struggle with it. We've all had deceitful hearts. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And he goes on to say, I, the Lord God, search your heart, and, he's, and I examine the mind, and he's doing it in your heart at this very moment. And all of us, we carry that load of guilt. A lot of hearts are sad. We, we've behaved wickedly. We knew better, and yet we did it anyway. And we've known all along, and we can't seem to gain a victory, but there's hope this day. Yes, we're guilty, we're separated, but there is forgiveness and relief and freedom available, and it's all through the work of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and shed his blood he paid the penalty that we should have paid for the very purpose of setting us free and it's a beautiful reality it's one of those foundational things that we have to understand as we make our decisions about life and relation to to uh, our spiritual life Jesus Christ will set you free from the curse and the shame of our sin and he'll do it this day if you'll allow him so that's number one number two I'm gonna move more quickly the second thing that Jesus Christ will set us free from is something called the flesh. And you know, it's exciting. Many people, I've talked to so many thousands of people around the world, and it's amazing how, despite our vast differences culturally, the questions are always the same. I've had so many people say, you know, it's wonderful that Jesus Christ would set me free from the shame and the guilt and the sin of my life. I believe that that might be true. But you know what f makes me frightened is today and tomorrow what am I supposed to do now? I've lived a life of powerlessness and, and, and these patterns are so deep in my life. How can I ever break these patterns of corruption and lack of self-control? Well, this is what Jesus Christ deals with and it's called the flesh. And it's the flesh, you know, it's really just simply understood. It's just that side of us that's in, inside of us that is constantly inclined towards evil. And here's a couple of illustrations, you know... Um, the flesh is what turns even things that were meant for good into bad. Things like sexuality, right? 
Sexuality is not dirty or evil. Sexuality is a beautiful gift of God. And in marriage, it's great. And, but everything in the world pushes us to misuse it. And evil destroys it. And our actions take something so beautiful and turn it into something shameful and hurtful. And even, the Bible says all these things, he calls them acts that lead to death. And the flesh is what turns uh, even these beautiful things into evil. Our words and our tongues, right, are meant to encourage and lift up and express love but instead we tear down people and we always gossip and even hurt most the people that we love the most and we don't understand it and our hearts are meant to praise God and help other people but instead we're angry and we're selfish and we curse God how does Jesus Christ set us free from the passions of the flesh before I knew Jesus Christ, you know, one of the things that I struggled with is I just said, it's too late for me. I am too deep now. 27 years in these deep ruts of these patterns of bad behavior and these addictions that are full in my life, drugs and alcohol. I'll never, I remember just thinking, I could never be faithful to just one woman and be married God's way. How could I possibly do that? It seems impossible. And then someone told me, I'm sure it was probably my dad and others, but you know, he, he said to me one day, you know, Andrew, it's true. You will always be the same, Andrew. And that's true. You're uniquely created. But listen, you can become a changed Andrew. Jesus Christ will change you, and this is the secret. This is how it happens. I remember my dad telling me, and he preaches it all the time. Here's how Jesus Christ settles the issue of the flesh. It's through his Holy Spirit. And through his Holy Spirit, in the moment that we finally humble ourselves, repent and turn away from the things that were tearing us down, and turn towards his way, he says, believe in me, receive me. In that moment, we receive the Holy Spirit of God, and it's a mysterious union and communion with the living God. The Bible says we asked him to come in, and we are united with Christ. And it's a deep mystery, but a powerful reality. And when you understand this secret, it's not a good word, it's not a secret, but when you understand this reality, it's like the key to success and victory and growth and maturity in this world, the Holy Spirit indwells us and in first corinthians three sixteen, he puts it this way do you not know that you yourself are god's temple and that god's spirit lives in you and this is beautiful if the cross is like the foundation of the good news this reality about the holy spirit of god it's like the heart of the good news it's the engine of the good news that empowers us to be and to act differently to have the capacity to live like Christ did, to lay our lives down sacrificially and serve in the way he did. This is how it happens. And if you would like to be free from the temptations that destroy you and the sin that will break you, receive him this day. I urge you to do it. But there's a third thing that you must know before you make any kind of decision like that. And there are many, many others, but this is a key one. The third thing, how else will he set us free? Jesus Christ sets us free from what I'll call the ultimate condemnation of sin. When Jesus Christ forgives you and cleans you out, it's not just the removal of the burden, the shame, and the sense of oppression and heaviness of the guilt, but he also removes from us the eternal consequence for all of the sin and those evil actions. And he frees you from that 
binding for eternity in the place that the Bible describes and called hell. And it frees you to enjoy and have confidence about eternity with him in heaven. And I want you to know that absolutely yes, I believe in heaven and I believe in hell. And there's so much conversation about this in the world and the flesh and the devil wants to tear these ideas down and make you feel foolish for having a sense of confidence about such things. But the Bible makes it very clear. And I don't like to talk about it, especially the hell part. I love to talk about heaven. But you have to know the truth of what the Word of God says. That uh, if you reject Jesus Christ, turn your back on His offer and say no to Him, the Bible makes it clear that that makes you lost and a captive to sin needing to be set free. But the good thing about all this is, you know, related to hell, you don't have to go there, huh? That's good news, that people go to tell you to go to hell all the time, and I'm saying you don't have to go there, right? There's a great opportunity and a great possibility for you to have a confidence about eternity. The Bible says, I've written these things in, 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 in the, at the very end in... John's three little books there, he talks all about it and he says, I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life and you could settle it even this day and you need to uh, settle this, uh, the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you, the Holy Spirit to give you power for living and the confidence of eternity. How does it come? I'll tell you. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Jesus Christ came, suffered, and died. He lived that perfect life for the very purpose, dead and buried, but on the third day, according to the scriptures and to the eyewitness account of thousands of people, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he did it for us to give us these beautiful gifts uh, to live with the possibility of life as he describes it and life and life in abundance in John 10. 10 he says, life to the full. We were intended to live a full life, not just waiting for heaven, but even as we go through life here on earth and knowing where our ultimate place is going to rest, that heaven is our home. It changes everything, not just for then, but even for now. You know, there's that silly little, it's not silly, but that little saying, right? If you, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time, right? So if you wander around in life uncertain about where your eternal destiny is, you're going to wander around in life between now and then anyway. Secure it in your mind if you never have. On the third day, he rose. And he said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks this question to them and he asks it to you. Do you believe this? Death could not hold him. You can live at peace with eternity, uh, related to eternity so that when you close your eyes at the end of the day, you will know the truth absent from the body present with the Lord. Or when he comes again, which is that next beautiful thing that is eminent, Jesus Christ is going to return. And we want to be ready in that moment. Don't leave this place. Let me lead you in a prayer. And we'll 
wrap up this section and continue on in our celebration. These beautiful principles are the reason that we celebrate. And I make this offer in Jesus' name to every one of you. Maybe you've known God in your past and you've believed these things might be true, but you've never received them for yourself or you've wandered from the path and you're not living the abundant life and sin has ensnared you. Maybe some little private vice that keeps you from the joy of, of all of these gifts and living them out. Uh, maybe it's a private little vice and nobody knows. Or maybe the whole city knows and you're like the laughing stock or whatever, somewhere in between. Come back to Jesus Christ. Walk in his way afresh. Get your roots deep into the local church and become a pillar of strength. He will do it in your life. Let's pray. Let's pray and let the Lord work on you in this moment, right? Whatever it is, maybe you need to receive him and you've never done that. This is your moment. Maybe you need to be reconciled with God. Do not stay in that place of slavery. He says, when I set you free, you'll be free indeed. Absolutely. And not just to run out and have another shot at it, but he stands at the gates of the prison to the slaves that are being set free. And he says, not just free to run out and try again, but he says, welcome to my family. My son, my daughter, you have a permanent place in the family. And here's what you would be doing is saying, I'm so sorry. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And you can just pray a prayer confessing those things. Not my words, but your heart connecting with the living God. Receiving Jesus Christ, pray these things. Oh, Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you for sacrificing your life for mine, dying on the cross for me in this moment. I have gone far, but I'm asking you, please forgive me. I believe in you. And I receive you now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Because I need power. I have not had it before. Thank you for forgiving me. For coming in. For making heaven my home. And I will follow you forever. Come in. Wash me. Fill me. I surrender all. And I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name.